We're going to talk about the true story of Christmas because the story of Christmas is really way beyond a baby in a manger. It, it's, it's about the cross. There are principles all throughout it that we haven't really seen. And what we're going to see, it's really amazing because we have the Word of God that gives us Bible truth, but then we also have early Christian writings. Um, you know, like as an example, Helena, the mother of Constantine, did a pilgrimage. I mean, you know, not, not long after, I'd say maybe 250 years, 270 years after the death of Jesus, and she went and interviewed descendants of Jesus, descendants of Mary and Joseph, and found all these places. So like when we've gone to Israel, you know, the Catholic Church has built things over a lot of things. So you, so you see a lot of religion, but thank God it preserves these things. But not only that, there's a lot of early writings that have been passed down that will substantiate some of the statements in the Bible. So I'm hoping that my, my goal with this is that you see the Christ of Christmas and that you pass that on to your family. You know, I hope you could take uh, these two or three messages and look at the Word of God and outline some things and then tell the Christmas story to your family. You know, let your kids grow up hearing that. Let your grandkids grow up hearing that. But it will thrill your heart and it will also, it, it'll also, like everything else, it'll equip you to walk out God's plan for your life. So let's jump into this. Uh, there's so much to this story, so we're, gonna we're just going to start, um, and I want to kind of go and flow as the Holy Ghost leads us through the whole story of Christmas. Today, I want to kind of talk a lot about the background of who these people were, but before I even do that, I want to talk about Jesus, because you have to really understand. Uh, you know, I'll say this, years ago... I mean, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth and I was in college, uh, you know, in 19, I think it would have been 1980, I think it was my first semester of college, I had a class, a speech class. And, you know, speech, you go through this class and uh, I was working full time, so I went to school at night. And, and so in speech class, you went through the whole semester and then the last speech was a 15 minute speech. And uh, it was a persuasive speech. And it was 50% of your grade. So if you had an A in the class and you messed that and bombed that speech up, you're done. You're, you're going to fail the class and, uh, because it's 50%. So you had to literally give the subject to the teacher. And this teacher, uh, this teacher had started the speech program in this college. Uh, so she had been around. And so you had to go up to her and give her, your, give her the subject. And because she wanted to make sure that you would succeed. So she would look at the subject and go, okay, you know, this would be okay or maybe I don't recommend this. And so the Lord put it on my heart as an 18-year-old who didn't really know much. Uh, to My persuasive speech was to persuade the class that Jesus was the son of God, that he actually is God. And so 
I go up to this teacher in this secular university and I hand her what my, what my thing is. And she looked at me and she said, she goes, Tony, she says, you have an A in this class. But she said, in order, in order for you to be able to follow all the principles of a persuasive speech, you have to have facts. And, and she goes, she goes, and she kind of whispered it because I don't think she wanted anybody else in the class to know. She goes, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm like, cool. You know, I mean, I was, uh, and, and she's like, but I, I, I would, you know, she goes, I, if you want, if you're adamant about this, I said, I am, I am adamant about this. And she goes, you will have to have historical facts about Jesus. And so, uh, you know, my whole sermon, I started researching and that, that kind of started all this stuff, but literally there is more about Jesus. You could find more proof of Jesus's life than you can George Washington's life. Yeah, there's so much. It's, it's mountainous of historical evidence. And so part of this, I want you to know that literally Jesus is, now this might sound funny, Jesus is really God, right? He really came to this earth. He, as the creator of all things, emptied himself of all his godly glory and power because otherwise it would have eradicated mankind on the planet. They couldn't be in his presence. And he literally clothed himself with flesh, and he literally came into this world as a man, as a divine man, as the Lamb of God to take our place. God is very legal. And to redeem mankind, there had to be a perfect sacrifice. It couldn't be God. So Jesus was all God and all man, right? And, you know, that, that speech went really well. I, it, was a very, it was very deep. You could imagine me. You know, what can you say in 15 minutes? So I had heard that story about either Jesus was who he said he was, or he was a liar. He knew he wasn't, but he was just lying. Or he was a lunatic. He actually thought he was God. That was the whole outline of my sermon. And then it had all these quotes from ancient writers and this and that and all this stuff. And I actually, at the end of it, I said, so if there's anybody in the class that wants to know more about a relationship with this God, see me after class. She was kind of freaking out. And then I, and then I went back, I went back to her, and, and what she would do is you'd walk up to her and she'd hand you your sheet, and it would have your grade on it. She would, she would write down all her notes and, and do all this checkoff stuff, and, and then she would hand it to you. So I walked back to her, and I stood by her, by her she was in a chair, you know, with a little desk, and, and so uh, she handed me the sheet, and she had tears in her eyes. And so it freaked me out, because the sheet, it was blank. So I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, and then she said, I apologize. I couldn't write anything down, because this captured me. And she came to me after the class, and she rededicated her life to the Lord. So it wasn't what was so cool, and this is what I would encourage all of you, that has nothing to do with us. That's the anointing. 
I didn't even know really what the anointing was at 18 years old, right? But I'm telling you, this story is real. Why do I say that? Because many of God's children live as if he's not real. But he's real. He's here right now, right? He inhabits the praises of his people. His eyes are ever upon you. His ears are always open to you. He is watching your words because he wants, when you speak his word, he wants to perform them, right? You are seated with him in heavenly places, far above anything you'll ever face in life. He has literally came and given you eternal life, which is in him, right? So let's look at this story. Let's go back to the beginning John chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17. Why the Christmas story? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know from John 17, in the 17th chapter, and I believe it's verse 3, it says, and this is life eternal, that you would know, intimately know, the one true God and Jesus whom he sent. This word believe is the key to this verse. It doesn't just mean, oh yeah, I believe Jesus is God. The demons believe Jesus is God. And what that does to them, it makes them tremble. But this Greek word believe means I believe this so strongly that I am willing to commit my whole life to this. In other words, it, it, it promotes action. If you know people that say they're Christians, but there is no evidence of, of them being a Christian in their behavior, there's two possibilities. They could be a carnal Christian, just they're just flesh ruled, they're really a Christian, or They've never really believed in their heart that Jesus was Lord and then said with their mouth and released the fact that that he was their Lord. So minister to them along the lines of locating where they really are. Because so many times, I know for me as a pastor, I deal with pastors and many times, I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me, where I'm talking to a pastor and, uh, and I'll encourage them. I'm like, well, you know, you're not getting any results, but what are you doing? And, and they would tell me their ministry, and, and I'm like, well, are you sure they're saved? Because if they're not saved, you're talking to them on how to overcome, and they can't overcome because they're not even born again. And how many times they've come back to me and said, oh my goodness, they weren't born again, Right? So and, and so get them saved, and then, wow, now we could get this process started. So this is another goal of this series, is for people to really know that God loves you so much, right where you are. He's not moved by your behavior. Your behavior has never moved God, and it will never move God. You know, as far as your negative behavior never moves him not to love you, not to want to move in your life, right? Now, your behavior, you need to line up that behavior so that you could position yourself to receive from him. But don't ever think 
that a negative behavior or, or I've got to clean myself up to come back to God. No, no, no. You come to him as you are. And when you hang out with him, he will make you like he is. It's the way it works. It says in verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus was born and literally all humanity was changed forever. God's intent in this whole Christmas story, in the whole incarnation of Jesus, which what, what we'll talk about what the incarnation means. It literally means where God was clothed with flesh. The whole purpose of it was to end religion and to restore relationship. In the Old Testament, they were God's servants all the time. In the New Testament, it talks about, about us as a servant of God as we are ministering, you know, and, and walking out his plan for our life as we're ministering to others. We're a servant of God. But when it talks about our relationship, we are children. We are God's offspring. He's our daddy. Jesus opened the door for all mankind to live in the kingdom of God under the government of God, not under the government of the enemy, and to experience heaven on this earth. You know, that's, I mean, even in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And right after we say that prayer, we will talk about how that God heals some and not others. Well, I'm sorry, how could that be true? Because there's nobody, you know, there's nobody walk, there's no walkers in heaven. In John 1, 1, talking about, talking about the Christmas story, think about it. In the beginning was the word. It's the Greek word logos, L-O-G-O-S. It literally means the divine expression. The logos. And the word was with God. The word was pros. That's the Greek word pros. The word was face to face. In other words, the son was face to face with the father. And the word was God. Forever telling us that you cannot separate God from his word. Okay? So you have the, you have the logos or the logos, if you want to say it. That's usually the way I say it. The logos of God, it's the expression, you know, you could say it's the written word, the rhema, Greek word rhema, I went to rhema Bible training college, that would be the spoken word, when you speak the word of God, all reveals Jesus, who is the living word, right? So, so this is what we're talking about. Jesus, what I want you to see here is in the beginning was the word, right? So when God created all things that we see, Jesus was there. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear that Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, has always existed. That will rock your world because we're in time. So in other words, he had no beginning. So in other words, in this story, you need to realize that Jesus' life did not start, 
thank you for the object lesson here. It didn't start in a manger in Bethlehem, right? He didn't come out of humanity. He came into humanity. I mean, think about Jesus on the earth. When, when some of the uh, Pharisees and doctors of the law, scribes, were talking to him and just kind of in his face, he's like, no, 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 before Abraham was, I am. Well, that rocked their little religious world, right? In Luke chapter 10, when, when his disciples came back and they're like, wow, Lord, even the devils are subject to us in your name. He said, listen, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. When was that? That was before Adam and Eve. So when Jesus was on the earth, listen, although he operated as a man, he still knew who he was, right? He's like, I beheld it. I saw it. I was there. My father's got a really strong arm. Bam, right? He doesn't even have to use it. It's just he said the words. So Jesus' life did not begin here. It began way before, and you have to understand that to understand the magnitude of this story. Jesus came into this world as the incarnate word. Incarnate, it means clothed with flesh. Word. Hallelujah. So in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, that which was from the beginning... Which we have heard, again, he was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, who is he? Of the word of life. He's the word of God. He's the word of life. His word is full of life and power. Verse 10 in the same, ver in the same chapter, it says this, he was in the world and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Now if we fast forward all the way, 2,000 years later, in the book of Revelation, see that, that was talking about John 1.1, 1, 1. it's talking about who he was, and then he was with God, down in verse 14 it says, and, word, and the word was made flesh, and he dwelt among us. That was the first coming of Jesus. Now in Revelation chapter 19, in verse 11, it says this. This is talking all the way. This is an event that is going to shortly come to pass. Right? There's going to be the rapture of the church. There's going to be a Middle East conflict like we've never seen before. And for the first time in a long time, we're going to see God step in because the church is gone. Why does God step in when all these nations come to annihilate Israel and to take a spoil? All of a sudden, in one day, one moment, they are wiped out and 80-some and percent of their countries are wiped out. In one sweep, we see God once again, like the Old Testament, protecting Israel. Why? Well, the church is gone. Right now, we are the protectors. We are the ones. That's why, hey guys, Save America? Don't trust the government. We have the authority. Let's speak. Let's declare. Let's walk this thing out. Because we have the authority. But when we're taken out, now God is going to protect Israel. Right after that, 
We go into a seven-year period of time. It's called the Great Tribulation, Daniel's 70th week. How are we talking about that in the midst of a Christmas story? But at the end of that, on that last day of the Tribulation period, all of a sudden the, the sky is going to roll back. They tell us space is very similar. It's almost like it's a curtain. Well, this curtain is going to roll back, and this is what's going to... This is what you're going to see. Everybody on the earth will see this because of television, right? Everyone's going to see this. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. He that sat upon that horse was called faithful and true, right? And in righteousness... He does judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. He's not coming back as the Lamb of God. He's coming back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back as the righteous judge of all the earth. And it doesn't say, and his name was called. It changes now, and it says, and his name is called the Word of God. Jesus' eternal name is the Word of God. John chapter 1 and verse 3 says, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I wonder if he can make a new joint in your body. I wonder if he can make a new liver or a new heart or new arteries or new eyes. I wonder if he can do that. Absolutely. Colossians goes on and talks about the same thing. We're talking about this baby in the manger is the creator of all things. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him were all things created... And it expands it a little bit. That are in heaven, that are in earth, visible things and invisible things. He created invisible things. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. And look at this, and by him all things consist. The whole universe is being held by the word of his power. They still can't figure out. Is this right, Pastor Edwin? They can't figure out why matter, why this is staying together. Right? Well, we know why it's staying together. Jesus right now is holding it together. Think about that. You want a miracle in your body? It's happening right now. Because scientifically, we should just all blow apart. We can't figure out what's holding us together. And that sounds funny, right? But he's already working. It's amazing. It's amazing. In verse, chapter 1 and verse 14 of John, it says, again, and the word was made flesh. You could read it literally, and the word took upon himself flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. It's like we saw his glory. That means we saw, this Greek word means his goodness, his power, 
and the very presence of God that flowed out of him. We saw it. Isn't that awesome? It's the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was God incarnate. He was God clothed in flesh. Isn't that amazing? In other words, like I said earlier, Jesus, he, he was a divine human being. He's the only begotten son of God until he came out of the grave. Then it changes. He's never called that again. He's, now he's called the firstborn. Because there's us. So, there's, there's 333 Old Testament prophecies about his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. For eight of those prophecies to be fulfilled, and, and in those 300 and, 333 prophecies, there's 456 individual parts to all these. It's literally a numerical miracle for eight of them, for a man to live his life out and, and fulfill eight. He fulfilled 333, all 456 parts. I can't remember the university, but they did a study on the possibility of that, and they said for eight of them to be fulfilled in the life of somebody, it would be 10 to the 17th power. So to give you an idea what that is, you would take the state of Texas and you would dump like silver dollars, we'll just say silver dollars because it's the state of Texas, and uh, you dump it four, four foot deep on the whole state. And then you throw one of them, one silver dollar that you painted red out somewhere in the state. The chance that a person could randomly just land and pick up the red one is 10 to the 17th power. And that's only for eight and he fulfilled all of them. God is Jehovah. He's the, he's, he's the creator. He's the one. He's the one who reveals himself. Do you know there's over 600 prophecies of his second coming? Almost double, right? And we're running around many times saying, well, you just never know what God's going to do. Are you kidding me? No, no, he, you know you know what he, he's very clear. So now let's talk a little bit about Mary. I want to talk about Mary and just kind of her parents. You know, she, you know we, we don't really think of this, but she had parents, right? Isn't that crazy? She had grandparents, right? So he grew up in a family, the smallest would be seven. Wow. So he grew up in a big family, you know, uh, where it talks about how he was the firstborn, we'll see those scriptures. The firstborn means he's the firstborn of others. Not talking about spiritually, we're talking about just he had natural brothers and sisters, right? What's really cool, we're going to also see in this story that God calls families. Do you know Jesus' whole family served God? Two of his four brothers wrote books in the Bible, James and Jude, Right? The other two were in ministry. There's, there's early writings talking about his sisters, how they married people that were in ministry. His whole family. God calls families. Wow. We're going to see the importance of some of these things. 
So we know a lot about Mary from gospel writers and many early, early Christian writers. Now, we stand on the word, okay? Now, these historically, though, because so many writers at different times said the same thing and wrote the same thing, historically, you could go, wow, this is, this is really the way it was. What I want you to see as we look at this, when we talk about her background, you're going to figure out why she said and did what she did, because you're going to see the importance. For you parents, you're going to see the importance of raising your children, because Mary was raised in a godly home. So let's look at this. Many of these facts... They just, they're repeated over and over. I love it. So Mary's father, so he was, his name was Joachim. He, he was also known as Heli. But Joachim is in all the early writings. He was of Galilee. He was of the town of Nazareth. Now Mary probably grew up in a city called Sephorus, that was about three and a half to three and three quarter miles away from Nazareth. Nazareth was just a little town. There was really nothing there except people that lived in Nazareth would go and, and work in Sephorus, which was a grand majestic city, okay? Mary, on her father's side, descended from the tribe of Judah. Now, if you study lineages, it's crazy, because uh, you, you have different, different things listed in the Bible, and there's reasons for it, but you got to really study it out. But when you do, it all makes sense. We don't have several weeks to do that, and, you know, I really wouldn't want to do that to you. That's one of those you might nap. So, uh, you know, but, I mean, it's really cool if you're someone like me, maybe. But, I, you know, but her, she descended on her father's side from the tribe of Judah, so from early writings, we know that Joachim, that he was literally a scroll scholar. He was actually a supervisor of, of, of he was a scroll scholar. He had a supervisory position. He, was a full, he would have been employed full-time in the synagogue in Sephorus, which was a massive synagogue. So he was a man of the word. Okay, his whole life was centered around the local synagogue. If you put that in today's, his whole life was centered around the local church. It would be the exact same thing, okay? He was a man of the word. So, so we know this about him, about the dad, right? Their whole family their whole family life would have, would have been centered around life that flowed out of the synagogue. Like our children grew up in a home that was completely centered around the local church. It would have been kind of the same thing, right? Would have been completely centered around the word of God, everything, Okay? So that's the dad. Mary's mother, early writings, the New Testament doesn't say anything about her. Early writings say her name was Anna. Okay? 
Uh, she was of the town of Bethlehem. Mary, on her mother's side, descended from the tribe of Levi. There's much validity in early Christian tradition and writing about Anna, but there's, there's nothing about her in, in the New Testament. So Mary's parents, according to these early writings, they met and got married, and for 20 years, they estimate around 20 years, they were trying to have children, and they just, they were not able to. And so they literally made a vow before God, and this was passed down. This is, this is pretty solid historically. They made a vow, and they said, God, if you will grant us offspring, we will dedicate them to you. Okay? Now, all of this is validated in how Mary responded as a young teenage girl. I mean, it's kind of amazing. So Mary would have been raised in the synagogue. Mary would have been raised to understand that her lifelong commitment was to be to God's word and to her local synagogue or her local congregation. Mary was raised that way from, from ever since she was a little girl. So Mary would have grew up in a home where the word of God was the priority and the word of God was central. Are you starting to see the importance, right? Circumstances will bring out your character, right? Pastor Mark Mason's saying is, when the sponge gets squeezed, we find out what's inside of it. So Mary would have been raised... So, so I, would, I would say, can you see the importance, the importance of raising your children in church, right? And, and this is a very, if you'll notice, this is a very, this concept is kind of not really there. It's there a little bit, right? I know in all the years of youth ministry, all of them, all the years of youth ministry, I was just talking to a guy. He, he's doing a service. Uh, I can't remember. They were from Thailand, I think. There's a cool church in town called Karin something. It was, it was formed by refugees and, and all this stuff. Well, he, te he does a, like a 130 service in their church with youth. And he, and he told me, the, we just saw him the other night. And he goes, man, I'm just, he goes, I'm 60 years old, but I'm just a youth pastor. I've always, I'm just an old youth pastor. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. I'm just an old youth pastor from Southern California, you know? And one thing, the hardest group to reach is where parents live differently at home than they do at church. And in our environment, we're not seeing as much of that because there's so much pressure because of the time we're living in. The self-centeredness level is so high that they're not living in church, that, that unless you're, you know, on fire for God, you guys are radicals, right? Uh, we're that church. I'm so glad we are that church. We're going to become more that church, right? Because I don't ever want anybody to be surprised, right? So this, this would have been how she was raised. So Joachim and Anna they would have been Jesus's papa and Grammy, 
grandmother and grandfather, right? He would have spent time in Sephoris, which was this majestic city that Herod Antipas was building to be the ornament of all of Galilee. It was, you know, filled. The majority of people who lived there were wealthy and rich. Very few poor people lived there. So Jesus, that's why Jesus would talk in his parables, in his writings. He'd talk about wealthy people. He would talk about banking, right? He would talk about all this stuff. He used phrases, right? Pastor Teresa's not here, but uh, he would use phrases uh, that were in theater because he had probably went to some great theater productions because there were some great theaters in, in Sephoris. Jesus, that's, he would have never got any of this stuff in, in Nazareth. But remember, Nazareth, I mean, you're talking, it's probably about a 30-minute, 40-minute walk to go to Sephoris, which was a bigger city. So this was Mary's parents. So now let's look at Mary. Mary would have grown up with godly parents. The word of God is first place. Your life centers around your relationship with God around this local synagogue, this local church congregation. When I, was, when I moved here, I was working a job, and my assistant manager was a young man from New York City, him and his wife, and he was an Orthodox Jew. His name was Joshua. And I loved it. You know, I, I got to talk to his rabbi one time, because the rabbi, he never... He's just like, yeah, get away from me, you Gentile kind of thing. But uh, you know me, I'm just like, if you don't like me, you just need more information. And so I think I just kind of bugged him enough that he would talk to me a little bit. But Joshua, uh, you know, he could only go out to eat at one restaurant in Omaha. I think it was called the Bagel Bin. He was really bummed when it burnt down because it was the only kosher restaurant. When they would go to buy a home, they had to buy a home within walking distance of their synagogue because on the Sabbath, you could not drive. Like if he got stuck before sundown, when Sabbath would start, he told me, he said, I'd have to get out of my, I go, what if your car broke down? He goes, I'd have to get out of my car and walk, but he goes, I'd have to leave my keys because I couldn't carry them. They'd have to fix all their food ahead of time. All the Orthodox Jews, they were all the law right? One of the feast days, they'd have to go down to Lowe's and build a hut in his backyard where they would live out there in seven days. The synagogue, their church service, it was Saturday, right? Not, not like what you're thinking. Like our Sunday, our service is Sunday, 8.45 and 11 o'clock. Their service was Saturday, like morning all day, Right? It was just all day because it just that was centered. Everything, it was community. It was they'd eat. They'd talk about the Lord. Joshua told me, now this would have been, any, this would have been gosh, early 2000s. I'm like, well, what do you guys talk about? He goes, we, we talk a lot about how the Messiah is about to come back. Right? It was really interesting. But that's, that would have been Mary. She was born in Sephoris. She grew up in Sephoris, and then at one point they would have moved to Nazareth, right? She grew up in a home, again, where her parents served God. Her parents would have told her growing up that she was born for a special purpose because they couldn't have kids, they made this vow, and now here's Mary on the scene. They would have told her, listen, God 
has a special plan for your life. You as parents, don't tell your kids you can do anything. No, no, no. God has a specific plan for your life. You can do all things through Christ, but that's under the context of you walking out his plan for your life. Right? She would have known that. She would have grown up like that. That God had a special plan for her life. She would have been told that you came into this world to serve God. That's, that's why you're here. Parents, her parents would have instilled in her that serving God was her number one priority of life and that she was born to serve God's house, the synagogue. That's the way all of it has always been. Now it's the local church. So now you had Mary's cousin was Elizabeth. Remember Elizabeth and Zechariah? They had a boy named John, John the Baptist. If you watch The Chosen, creepy John, right? So, so literally, Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. John the Baptist would have been Jesus' second cousin, okay? So Mary gave birth to Jesus, raised Jesus, was at the cross with Jesus, saw Jesus after the resurrection, was there on the day of Pentecost. We know that from Acts 1. She lived in Ephesus, and John took care of her in, until she died. During that time, Luke would have came and would have sat down, and she would have told him this whole story in chronological order. That's why we love Luke's story of the gospel. It would have, it would have got, we would have got this in Ephesus. So now, let's look at the word a little bit. Go to Luke chapter 1. Just want to touch on this. As we go through this, this whole story is going to become very real to you. So you've got to see the background to understand why Mary said what she said. You have to understand the background because God chose her. This was not random. And one thing you're going to see in all of this, you know, and when we look at even Joseph, and, and you even see this, the, the overwhelming thought process is that Jesus grew up in a poor, just a home with nothing. And that's just not true. You're going to, you know, you're going to think that God just randomly picked Mary, but no, God is very calculated in who he picks for certain assignments, and this one is the biggest assignment, right? And he chose Mary for a reason. God will choose you for a reason. And you're going to see you don't go to first grade with him until you pass kindergarten, right? Why? Because he's a good father. Because he doesn't want you to fail. Oh, there's many gifted people that have all these gifts, but they are going to miss God's plan for their life because they're more concerned about their natural life and they don't have this or they've lost this. They've lost sight. The minute we all step out of our body or the minute the rapture happens and we're before him, we're going to all go, wow, I really 
Some are going to go, man, it's so good to see you. I've lived my whole life for you. A lot of Christians the Bible talks about are going to shrink back because they're going to go, wow, Lord, I live for myself. I was more concerned about money and things and everything. And they're going to see that had they followed God's plan plan for their life, there would have been a lot more money and a lot more things and a lot more everything. And that they just bought a lie. Now the good news is, it's not like you're going to get beat up. You're just not going to have any rewards. But the most important thing in eternity is location, 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 right? (laughs) And God will have a plan for you in eternity. But what we do here determines so much because there's a principle. If you're not faithful in that which is another man's or not faithful in little things, God can't trust you with true riches. And that's why people don't progress. We, we see this in this story. So here we are. Luke 1, Let's start here. You guys doing okay? Is this all right? This is going to be fun, okay? It's going to be good. And in the sixth month, the sixth month, what do you mean the sixth month? We learn from Scripture the sixth month of Elizabeth, Mary's cousin's pregnancy. In other words, she was six months pregnant with John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So we know when this happened, Mary was living in Nazareth. She might have started out in Sephora, Sephora, but now she's living in Nazareth. To a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So Mary, was, she was espoused. In that culture, you could be engaged starting at about age two. Okay? So if you were, if you were good friends with another family, you know, they had a little girl and you had a little boy, whatever, and uh, you guys are just going, you know what? Uh, everything was an arranged marriage in that culture. They would arrange the marriage. And so an engagement just meant the two people are going, you know, when these guys grow up, we're really, we're comfortable. At some point, we're going to make this legal and start the second phase of this. This would have happened anywhere between a Jewish girl was eligible for a spousal starting in age 12 to age 14. So when this happened, Mary had to be Youngest could have been as early as 12. She wouldn't have been older than 14. When you get espoused, that's what that is. It's literally a legal document. To Once a person is espoused, right? This is in the Galilean wedding. This is where the, the father of the groom-to-be comes with the groom and the bride and his parents come and they enter a legal agreement and they say all this stuff. If, if you will, you know, this is the benefits of marrying my son and, da, da, and all this stuff. And at the end of it, the son would hold out a goblet of wine to the woman. And if she reached out and took it, she could still say no. But if she took it, she was saying, okay. 
It, it literally became a legal document. You know, if you were a spouse, now, so there's an engagement, but this, this is spousal period. It was a one-year period. The, the, the guy then would be all excited, but he'd go back to his father's house, and, and there would start to be built a, a dwelling place for him and his wife. A year later, that would be consummated in a wedding celebration, and then they would be married. But if during that espousal period they wanted to break this, it was like they had, it would, they had to give a certificate of divorce. That's how serious this was. So this, during this espousal period, it was a period where they had to remain sexually pure, okay? And it was a period for one year they would both be trained for the lifelong commitment of marriage. They would be in training. It was an in-training period. So it was during this period that the angel Gabriel came to this little girl, 12 to 14 years old. Let's just, and, and I, I personally think it's, she's probably was around 13. In that culture, a lot of times it was about 13 when this would happen, you know, uh, but, but who knows? But she was pretty young. So, so, Think about a 13-year-old that you know, and I want you to see the maturity in this little girl. So Mary was living in Nazareth during this espousal period, okay? So now, in verse 27, I want you to notice that Mary was called the virgin two times, okay? So Matthew chapter 1, I, want, I just want to read a couple things about this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. In the literal Greek, when you see behold, like behold, I make all things new. You know what the word behold literally means in the Greek? Wow, this is amazing. That's literally what it means. God makes all things new. You come to God and your life's a disaster. And all of a sudden you have a wow moment. You're like, wow, I have messed up my whole life or somebody else has damaged me. Then you come to Christ and go, wow, he makes all, it's all new. I'm not addicted. I'm not in bondage. I'm not, I'm not nothing. I'm not worthless. He makes all things new. So this was, behold, literally a virgin. <clears throat> In the Greek language, it would be, behold, the virgin. Why? The only one that has ever been. Shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. In the literal Greek, Emmanuel means God with us in a new way. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin. In, in, in Isaiah, in the Hebrew language, it's the Greek word halma. It means the virgin, the only one ever, shall conceive and bear a son, and, his name shall, be, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That means, again, God with us. In a new way. In Isaiah, he prophesied this 800 years before, his, before Jesus was born. 800 years. The United States is what, 250 years old? A little under? 800 years ago. 
800 years before. So now, Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And the angel, so we know it's talking about Gabriel, came in unto her and said, Hail, Mary. This is what the angel said to her. Hail, Mary, thou art favored, highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art you among women. Mary, you are highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Verse 29, and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Now, this is absolutely amazing because every time an angel appears, what do they say? Did Gabriel say that? Could you imagine? Gabriel's not just an angel. He's an archangel. I mean, this dude probably looks bad. I mean, you know, an archangel, and he appears to a 12 to 14-year-old little girl, and she's not afraid. In other words, she grew up in all this stuff. She might not have seen it, but she's not afraid. She was troubled at the saying. She's, she's like, what, why, are you, why are you saying this to me? Right? And then um, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She was troubled. She's like, why? She's like, wow, okay. Why, why are you here? Why are you saying this to me? I'm just a a girl, a little girl, right? Verse 30, and the angel said to her, after this initial response, now he says, fear not. So in other words, Mary is like, she sees him, she doesn't get freaked out, but then she's like, why is he saying this to me? This word fear not literally means don't go into fear. Stop, stop going towards fear. In other words, she wasn't, she wasn't as much troubled by him and in fear. She was troubled by what he said. Like, what is this all about, right? Now remember, she would have been growing up being told God has a special plan for your life. The same thing you parents should be saying to your children that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has made you for a purpose. So that when all of a sudden the Lord starts dealing with your kids, they know. Right? But she's a little troubled. Have you ever been troubled? See, God doesn't call you according to your ability. He calls you according to his ability. So a lot of times when it's God, you're like going, you want me to do what? Right? I mean, could you imagine... He sends out the 12 when he's on the earth. He tells now, guys, I'm going to send you out and you're going to do what I did. They're like, what? We're going to do what? We're, you, you're, like, you're healing people, casting out demons. Yeah, you're going to go do that. Right? You're going to preach the kingdom. They're like, Whoa, are you kidding me? Oh, and by the way, and I don't want you to take any money. Don't take a second set of clothes. No, just nothing. You just go. They're like, but we have to walk here. We're going to get hungry on the way. There's thieves everywhere. I guess we'd be safe because we wouldn't have anything. 
But if they wanted to take the clothes off our back, we'd be in trouble and we'd have no weapons to protect ourselves. But God was saying, listen, I'm calling you to do something. I need you to learn that you can trust God completely in every situation. That was a little beyond them, right? So the angel said unto her, fear not, for thou hast found favor with God. Why would he say that? The only reason why he would say that to her was that her behavior of living for the Lord, her whole life, her whole short life, caused her to have favor with God. She grew up walking and serving God. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And then here's Gabriel. Now, you could just, you know, if Gabriel was from California, behold would mean, wow, dude, this is amazing, right? But, you know, he's an angelic leader, so he's just like, wow, this is amazing. You could see Gabriel in this Greek word. He's excited. And he's kind of he's blown away. It's like, Mary, what I'm going to say to you, Wow, this is incredible. That's what this is. Behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior and Deliverer. He shall be great. Sorry, guys, I've been living in this. Wow. And shall be called the Son of the Highest. Could you imagine Jeanette, you're going to conceive and you're going to bring forth a son. And then she starts telling you, he's going to be the son of the highest or the son of Yahweh. Wow. Right? And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. She would have known because she's espoused to Joseph. The throne of David, she would have been, what? My son is going to be given the throne of King David? And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now she would have grown up, the whole, all of Israel would have been, you know, Messiah is going to come. So she's like, wow. This is talking about the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 6 and 7, it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That, that Greek word, be upon his shoulder, or that Hebrew word, means that it's going to be something that he's going to carry as a burden. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Wow. Mary, when this angel said this to her in verses 31 through 33, Mary would have heard Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7, over and over. And like how you guys here kind of hear things, a few things over and over and over here, Right? She would, have been, she would have been thinking about this. 
of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. In other words, Gabriel was literally, he was, he was literally talking about this scripture, this prophecy. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Lord of hosts, who is that? That's the baby. Lord of hosts. The word hosts is a military term. It would be pronounced the Lord of all the armies of heaven, all the armies of God. He's going to perform it. And now, here's this little girl. Now, God never pushes himself on anybody. So this interaction is happening. See, you got to see the purpose that Jesus came in that manger. Well, not that one, but you know what I mean. There is one. There is a manger, right? A stone manger left in the very cave that Jesus was born. We, we've been in that cave, right? Um, but literally, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. The purpose he came for was to bring the kingdom of God and the government of God to earth to restore the government of God and the kingdom of God that Adam lost. Well, he didn't lose it. He gave it up. Verse 34 of Luke chapter 1. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? So notice, this little girl did not doubt she didn't say, oh man, you know, there's no way. Are you kidding me? How's this going to happen? Is this going to happen after I'm married here? After this year thing is over? Well, you know, how, how's this going to happen? Notice she didn't, ask, she didn't complain. She didn't doubt. She just asked how. I love that. And the angel answered and said unto her, he tells her exactly how. You know, you could ask God. Lord, okay, you want me to do this. How do you want me to do this? Do you know he'll tell you? I can't tell you how many times I've gotten in trouble when God's told me to do something. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm just believing God. And, and you hear this, Tony, Tony, whoa, time out. One time the Lord told me, Tony, it's really hard for you to be led by my spirit when you're out running in front of me. Being led denotes that you are behind. You're being, I'm following him. Not He, he doesn't follow me. When you go this way, the Holy Spirit, he's with you, but he's positionally, he's like, no, 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 you're going to line up with me. I'm not going to line up with you. Come on back. Right? So it says here, listen to this, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, the power of the highest, the power of God is going to overshadow you, and therefore also that holy thing which is, shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. And behold... Your cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for with God. Notice the angel Gabriel gives her an example. For with God, nothing is impossible. If you don't remember anything else today, this is the statement for your life, for the Christmas story, for with God, Nothing is impossible. 
Have you destroyed some things in your life? He brings life back to dead things. Have you so messed up your life that there is no way? No, no, no. He makes a way where there's no way. Hope. Right? Verse 38, look at this now. Notice the decision is still in, up to Mary. So what does she say? I mean, think about it. She's probably 13 years old, and God's like, man, the power of the highest is going to overshadow you, and what's going to be conceived in you is literally the Son of God, and he's going to bring a kingdom and a government, and he's going to be called the Mighty God, the Wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace. She's like, notice she gets pressed with all of this, but because of the way she was raised, Look at what she said. She said just what her parents taught her to say. Be, wow, this is amazing. But behold, the handmaid of the Lord. The handmaid. She called herself a handmaid. In the Greek language, that describes a female servant. It was someone who their whole purpose in life was to serve their master. Behold, your handmaid. And then she said this, be it unto me according to your word. Do you know when she said that? That is when, the, that, that is literally the moment she opened the door with her words and now Jesus was conceived in her womb. That was the moment. And the angel departed from her. Wow. Handmade, I am your servant and I'm available for any assignment that you have for me. Was Mary's assignment easy? No. Was it worth it? Mary's probably walking around heaven with the biggest smile. But was it easy? Could you imagine seeing your son beaten, crucified, mocked, right? His brothers and sisters kind of thought he was nuts. Not afterwards. Mary was raised to believe that she was to instantly obey God. When God's word was revealed to her, she did not hesitate. She accepted it. You're going to see something. It's all through the Bible. Instant obedience. Abraham, go sacrifice your son Isaac. He gets up early the next morning. You're going to see that with Joseph, the kind of man he was. She had no struggle accepting it because of the way she was raised and trained by her parents. Now, don't let Satan tell you, well, you know, my family was whacked. Right? I mean, I think it's hilarious that I'm a pastor. You know, pastors like being a dad. I, dad concept? Whoa. Never knew my biological father. My, my stepdad was whacked and completely out of it with alcoholism. The good news is he's in heaven. We led him to Christ 11 days before he passed away. But listen, you as a Christian, if you haven't been trained, then get in training. And actually you are in training. Every time you come here, you're in training. 
right? And you know enough how to train yourself when you're not here. And guess what? You have the trainer on the inside of you. Isn't that good news? She had no struggle. So the question is, in this Christmas story, how are you raising your children? Right? Do you know Sephoris was close to Mount Tabor? Isn't that interesting? Mount Tabor is where Jesus was transfigured. He would have grew up very close around that. Wow, I love that. Hallelujah. We have a little time. So let me talk about Joseph just a little bit. Joseph, who was he? He was the foster father of Jesus. Okay? Jacob was Joseph's father, according to Matthew 1.16. It says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So Jacob would have been Joseph's, Joseph's grandfather or papa, right? Joseph lived in Nazareth, near the city of Sephora, according to early writings. He worked, or he worked, no doubt, in Sephora. Here's a big thing. Everybody thinks, when they think of Joseph, they think of a carpenter, a general carpenter who fixes some stuff, builds some stuff, because it's translated carpenter. So go to Matthew, if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew 13, 55, because this Greek word that is used to describe what Joseph did is way beyond just a general carpenter. You know, you have a general carpenter, then you have a master, a master carpenter, but this is way beyond even that. In Matthew 13, 55, it says, Is not this the carpenter's son, and is not his mother called Mary, and his brethren James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? This word, carpenter, translated carpenter, it's not a good translation. It's the Greek word that would be pronounced closely. Sometimes it's produced tecton, you know, if you're in Greece, if you have a guide, we were in Greece, and they say, oh, yeah, that's where you get your word this from. You get tired of that after a while. It's like, oh, gosh, you know, it's like the whole world came out of you, right? <laughs> but tecton, it, I think it's more, more accurately pronounced probably tectone. Is not this the tectone's son? Tectone, we get our word technology from it. This describes a person who would be advanced, highly advanced in whatever he did. This word was always used in this culture to describe a man who made exquisite furniture or possibly exquisite jewelry, who literally made exquisite, exquisite mosaics. Would that have all been needed in Sephora where wealthy people lived? Absolutely. If you go to Sephora, if we ever did a, I don't know that we'll have time to do that, but if we ever did a tour, I, I'd love to do a tour in Israel, one of the areas that we would go to would be Sephora. It's, it's, it's phenomenal from just what I've seen. But it, it would have been like mosaics, incredible stonework. But here's another thing it was always used to describe, or it was also used to describe a supervisor who oversaw the building of buildings, different things. He, he would have overseen. 
Now it's interesting, this word is never used, not, not ever, to denote just a general contractor, carpenter that just works with wood. Not, not to demean that, but it's just not talking about that. So Joseph, see, Joseph would have been a guy who was a professional, he was successful, he, had, uh, he was highly paid, tectons were high, or tectones were highly paid, he would have had authority, and he would have been working, I, and, and you know, really, did he live in Nazareth? Many people believe he did, but he could have lived in Sephoris, I guess, at times, who knows. But we know he would have been very successful. He would have had money, right? He would have had a great reputation. Herod Antipas was putting all of his money during this time into this city of Sephoris. Herod was a great builder. And so he's putting all of his money there. So there would have been all this building, fancy stuff going on. And Joseph would have been right in the middle of it. So was he poor? No. Nope. No doubt, because what we learn from Joseph, I wouldn't doubt if Joseph went to the same synagogue as Mary and her family. And no doubt, Joachim or Anna might have looked at this guy and said, hmm, that's a guy that we want for our daughter. That's probably how that all happened. Now, now don't let that sound weird to you. These were real people. Sometimes we read stories, but isn't it cool if you start to look at the background? Mary's parents, you know, they would have looked at him and said, wow, look at this godly guy. He's got a great reputation. He's a huge giver. He honors God and everything. He's successful. He could take care of our daughter, but he loves God with all of his heart. He's a man of the word. This is who Joseph... Now, how do we know all that? Well, early writings talk a lot about that, but we see it in Scripture. See, God chooses people for a reason. God chooses people for a purpose. There's a lot of Christians that are wondering why. Man, I just can't figure out what God has for me. Look, don't, don't look at him. Look at your life. Look at your life and just literally go, Lord, help me position myself. Is there pride? What's hindering this? What do I need to do right? Because there's a lot of Christians today that want the blessing of God, but they're not walking in line with the word, so they can't receive what God's given them. God chooses Joseph for the biggest assignment he's ever given a man. God, God would not have given this assignment to someone who was ungodly, unfaithful, someone who was not tested, who was unsuccessful, who, who was poor financially. He wouldn't have gave that to that person. How do we know that? Luke 16, verses 10 and 11. This is a principle of God. God is the same. He's consistent. Luke 16, 10 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is also faithful in much. He that is unjust in the least is also unjust in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, in natural things, how will you commit your trust, or how will, who will commit to you, to your trust, the true riches? Joseph had to be faithful in his walk with God, in his profession, 
he would have built a reputation of faithfulness. Otherwise, this godly father, Joachim, would have never, ever, ever wanted that person, right? Joseph was faithful. And I believe God had been watching Joseph. So now look at Matthew chapter 1. I want to just go through real quick uh, some scriptures showing this behavior as Joseph walked out. I want you to see things from his perspective. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, or was this way. When, when as the, his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Ghost. Could you imagine? You're engaged to a lady that you have, now guys, think about this, that you have not had sexual relations with. And all of a sudden, you find out that she's pregnant. Now, that's not as big of a deal in our society, but back then, I mean, like, like I'm a byproduct of a date rape, right? So, so my mom, when she found out she was pregnant, living in New York City, God, it's a whole story where God delivered her supernaturally out of jail. She came back to Chicago. She's like, okay, you know, my biological father was in the mob, but he was in the Cook County Jail at the time. And so in, in 1961, she's pregnant, and if I would have been born without a father, I, I would have been considered a bastard child, and that back in the early 60s, that was a big problem. Now it's not, right? So my mom went to him because, you know, they dated, and she had broke up with him when she found out this other that he was a, a soldier in the Chicago Outfit Mafia crime family. She, you know, got freaked out and was afraid. But she goes to him and she said, he's in jail. And she's like, listen, I want you to marry me. To, I'm pregnant with your child here and to give him a name. Well, he, he really wanted my mom. So he goes, yeah, I'll do that. She's like, now we'll never live together. Now he tried to push her into it, but we, they never lived. I never knew him. He would come by once in a while and visit when I was real little, but I don't even remember it. But think about, think about now, go back in, in Joseph's time, he gets this news. He's a tectone. He's probably well-known, very well-known in Nazareth, well-known in Sephoris, and now all of a sudden, his wife that he's engaged to is pregnant. Okay? So he's pressed. He has a circumstance. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being just. This word just means this in the Greek. Her husband being righteous, being equitable in character, being equitable in his actions, one who observes divine law or observes the word of God. This word just describes a person who conforms his actions to his character. Being a just man and not willing to make her a public example was minded to put her away privately. This circumstance shows the kind of man Joseph was. A man of integrity, a man who honored truth. Joseph was so kind and loved Mary so much he did not want her to be embarrassed. In other words, Joseph 
was a man who was more concerned with Mary than he was himself. And that's, that is what you need to see. You will never be able to walk with God and walk out his plan for your life if you are more concerned with yourself than you are with God. Right? This is, this is huge. Circumstances, never forget this, always reveal character. Verse 20, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. How many times would Joseph have heard about that? He's probably thinking, that falafel pizza, was that falafel pizza or is that actually God? In the middle of an intense circumstance, he finds out she's pregnant. What am I going to do? In the middle of that, he is so spiritually mature because the way he walked, he was sensitive to know that God spoke to him in a dream. He actually believed Okay, she was not with another man. She was literally what's conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Who in the heck is the Holy Ghost? He would have never heard that stuff, right? So do you see how spiritually mature, sensitive he is? He lives a life submitted to the Lord. Verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son. You'll call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. What I want you to see is Joseph, why did God pick him? He instantly obeyed. He instantly obeyed. He obeyed the voice of God without hesitation. What does that mean? Do you want to be that man? you want to be that woman? When you sit in church and you hear the word, you go, yes. And, and the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. You're like, yep, yeah, I'll do that. Our church is filled with people that are like that. This could not have been the first time he was in a difficult situation. Joseph, in other words, would have been a man who developed a pattern of obedience. Now, I want to fast forward, or I'm almost done. You guys okay? I'm going a little longer. I've only preached an hour and 23 minutes, okay? I promise I'll never do that again this year or this week or today. Maybe, I don't know. So look at this, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise. That means, in the Greek, do it now. Take the young child and his mother, flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child. The to Jesus was a toddler. He's probably two years old to destroy him. So all of a sudden, here's Joseph. The next verse. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, which means he didn't even sleep all night. 
immediately when he was told, he jumped out of bed, they packed their bags, and they took off. Now we read that and we think, well, that's no big deal. Look at Joseph's character. Joseph acted immediately. Joseph had a successful career. He was a man of influence. His whole life, his whole life, so for so many men, their whole identity is in what they do. And he, without hesitation, walked away from his whole life to obey God. To go where? To Egypt. Now what's, now think about this, right? Okay, so I'm living, I'm living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Christian Disneyland. I go to restaurants and everybody's praying. And there's big churches everywhere. And God, you're calling me where? To the most ungodly place. Egypt was a pagan country. Right? Joseph was a foreigner. He would have had no work permit. He could not work. And Egypt was the most expensive place in that whole region that you could live at. And he, he just acted immediately. He would have had to have the means to do that. Oh, but he was just this poor guy. No, I'm sorry. No, no, he wasn't. Right? What funded this? Because he couldn't work this whole time they were gone. Well, we'll talk about that. The Magi. All those gifts. Let alone all the wealth that he might have had. Right? Joseph... This event represented, just in a few verses, represented a total break from his past. He was leaving his career. He was leaving his security. He was leaving his family. He was leaving his support. I mean, when, he, when you say his family, think about having a two-year-old, right? And now you have no family to watch them. You have, I mean, it's all you and, it's you and Mary now. Verse 15, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt did I call my son. Verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem. This is the last thing I want you to see. In Luke chapter 2, verse 41, it says something else about Joseph. And his parents, and Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. So every year, they would stop their life and that they would spend money to go to the feasts. And when he was 12 years old, so they did this every year, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Joseph, in other words, was very consistent in leading his family spiritually. God was first. And Joseph led his family spiritually by example. So I hope this tells you just a little bit as we go through this story. I know I, I didn't plan on going near this long, but guys, man, there was just an unction to do it. So this God wanted us to go this far today. Hallelujah.